So my kids are always embarrassed when I say it, so now I'm just going to start saying it more often. Um, the more I can get them to shake their heads and be embarrassed at dad. I said, that's my job as your dad is to make you embarrassed. So I'm doing a good job. Um, and in fact, I'll go with that theme. Uh, this morning, I didn't ask for permission at all, um, but my wife is going to come up a few times in this morning's message. Um, so did not ask her permission, so I might get in trouble. We'll find out. Um, but uh, I, she's one of those people that she let me know early on in dating, don't ever do anything publicly. If you ever propose to me, it better be in private. It better, you know, go to the big old jumbotron. She's like, that is like the tackiest, weirdest way. I feel bad if you guys did it that way. But for my wife, that's not her style. She doesn't like that. So she does not like being up front. So I will continue to embarrass her because, again, that's my job. Um, so this morning, uh, we are going to talk about Valentine's Day a little bit. Just I'm going to segue that into the, this morning's message is a love story. That's the title of this morning's message is a love story. And uh, I'm going to talk about God's word. But in there, I'm going to share a little bit about my wife and I's own love story. And I think most of people here know some stories about it. Um, but just in case, um, I'm going to share some details with you and probably embarrass my wife and for sure my kids. Probably a good thing my daughter's not here because anytime she sees mom and dad kiss, she says, gross, and covers her eyes and hates it. Um, so good thing she's not here today. Um, but just to give you a little feedback, um, update of, of my love story. If you didn't know, Jen and I are high school sweethearts. So we met for the first time in fifth grade, started going to school together, and um, we did not like each other in fifth grade. Um, but as junior I hit a couple of years later, my guy group and her girlfriend group um, started hanging out at lunch and started kind of being friends. We're like, oh, that's kind of fun. And as every Hallmark story goes, she had to like somebody else first, right? She had to like my best friend. And so they started dating early on in high school. And I was not offended. It was just like my friends. It was great. And uh, as the Hallmark drama story unveils, the love story uh, unveils, um, her friend, her boyfriend, my good friend, realized, you don't treat me any different than you do Ryan. And so finally came out. He said, this is ridiculous. I'm your boyfriend, and you need to treat me better than you treat Ryan. And Jen's answer was, well, I've been friends with Ryan longer than I've been friends with you. So I think we all know how that relationship went on, it, no longer. Um, and so the Hallmark drama continued to unveil. And, uh, and then it happened uh, going into uh, the summer between, before our senior year. Um, again, guy group hanging out with girl group. And then this really weird thing happened. I remember going to a pool party and we we're watching a movie. And I think I was standing behind the couch. And Jen came and sat down on the couch. And when she sat down, her hair landed on my hand. And I... I got the butterflies. And I was like, what the heck? Like, that's weird, gross, that's Jen. Like, that's my friend. Like, we've been friends forever. But then it, from then on, it was like, what the heck is going on here? And so I'd already made a deal that I was not going to date in high school because to me that was a foolish thing to do, right? That's like a waste of money, a waste of time. I just wanted to have fun. I didn't want to get involved in all the drama. So I'd made a commitment I wasn't going to date in high school. Like, to me, that's stupid. Don't do that. And Jen, after breaking up with my best friend, I'd spent time with God and went to a big, you know, uh, summer camp retreat and said, I'm not going to date boys. You know, I'm not into boys anymore. It's just you, God. And then a few months later, all this stuff happens, right? And so we're trying to struggle. And this is, maybe you've heard Jen share a little bit of her story. She has heard the audible voice of God one time in her life. It was in this season. And uh, I was fasting and praying because I kept getting butterflies when I was around Jen. And I'm like, God, take away these feelings. I don't want to like anybody. I don't, you know, Jen's my friend, you know, and so I'm, I really, I'm not making that up. I was fasting. I was not eating food and telling God to remove these feelings, like 
don't make me like somebody, God. And so in the midst of all this, bring it to a close, finally God is telling me, yes, you're supposed to date her. I'm like, wow, we're in high school. That's stupid, God, blah, blah, blah. And she hears audible voice of God that she's supposed to date me, which is strange. And I'm not, say, I'm not advocating for high schoolers to date. Listen to your dad. I'm not advocating for high schoolers to date. Um, but in my love story, this is how it happened. Uh, and so I will continue to share some more parts of our love story as the message goes on. But I had to give you foundation of how it started off, that it was this hallmark drama and uh, kind of a fun thing that we were friends first. Um, and so that's just the beginning of the love story. And now we'll jump more into the message this morning and we'll segue some more points later. Uh, so as I said, a love story is a title of our message. Um, the first thing we're going to look at is I'm going to remind you, does anyone remember our theme verse for the year? Luke 6, 36, Jesus in red letter says, you must be compassionate just as your heavenly father is compassionate. All right, so that's our word for the year. And I think last Sunday, I let you know that that verse is actually paralleled in Matthew chapters 5 through 7 where it's the Sermon on the Mount. In Luke, they call it the Sermon on the Plain, and I'm not going to get into it. There's scholars that think it's the same exact sermon. Some scholars think it might be a different sermon. I'm not talking about that today. But it's very similar things are being taught by, by Jesus. And as I said, in Matthew, that same phrase is, be perfect, just as your Heavenly Father is perfect. And it's at the very end of this great sermon. So I want us again today to look at the context of this verse that is our theme verse for the year and this being today a day of love valentine's day there is some words of love in there so if you can turn your bibles to luke chapter 6 we're going to read a portion of scripture here several verses so i think i'll have uh, i'm going to read it from the new living translation this morning uh, it'll be up on the screens for you you can read it in whatever bible version you got they're all good um, but in luke chapter 6 starting in verse 27 is where we're going to start luke 6 27 let's read some of this um, it says this but to you who are willing to listen, I say, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who hurt you. We'll stop there. The very first phrase, Jesus says, love your enemies. Who's ever heard that phrase before, love your enemies? All right, so a lot of you grown up in Sunday school, you've heard that phrase, love your enemies. My first point this morning's message is, love is hard. Love is hard. What God is calling you, what Jesus is saying in red letters, and our theme for this year, be compassionate, this is not just a, a, a year of saying, oh, we're just going to be nice to people, and just we're going to learn to be nice, because that sounds easy. Actually, love is hard. What God is calling you to, it's going to take hard work this year. The theme for this year means you're going to have to die to yourself, means you're going to have to wrestle with things and figure out, man, how do I do this? It's not easy. It doesn't come natural. My natural disposition is not to love my enemies, but I'm commanded to do it. And so Jesus is here, he's explaining, man, if you're following me, you're listening to my sermons and it makes you feel good, let me also tell you, it's going to take some hard work. And that's what I love about Jesus. He does. He wants to love on you, right? He wants to encourage you. He wants to help your life. But at the same time, he's going to let you know it's hard. Following Jesus is hard work. I, I'll, maybe I'll pop the bubble for some people that some people think that if you become a Christian, life just becomes easier. No, it doesn't become easier. It's actually you're dying to yourself. Does that sound easy to die to yourself? No, love is hard. And so Jesus is, he's going through this. He's saying, all right, to be compassionate, to be perfect, here's how you do it. You have to love your enemies. You have to do good to those who hate you. Bless those who persecute you. Now in verse 29, if someone slaps you on one cheek, offer the other cheek also. If someone demands your coat, offer your shirt also. I don't know about you, but this is hard. 
I know I've, I'm raising kids, and I am still a big kid in lots of ways, um, but my, my kids, their siblings, if one person does something, if, if one of them hits the other person, then they got to hit each other harder. And if you hit harder, then I'm going to hit harder, right? It's just like that's, you hit me, I'm going to hit you back. That's just how it is. That's our natural disposition. If, if you slap my cheek, oh, I'll just be honest. Growing up, that's, I always had to outdo you. Growing up in this youth group at this church, if you pulled a prank on me, oh, I loved it when people were mean to me or pulled a prank on me because then it was like, oh, it's open season. Like, I get to get you back. Um, that's just how I, I dealt with people. Um, and a lot of that being in jest and fun, but some of that is just our natural disposition. If someone's going to hurt you, well, I'm going to hurt you back. That's just how we do it. Um, I think about in these next few verses we're going to read, um, raising kids. One of the first words that comes out of a kid's mouth is mama, dada. I love that. But one of the second or third words that comes out of that kid's mouth is no. no. And then with no is mine. Mine. No. Now my little precious kid that just says dada, dada is now telling dada no and telling dada mine. I'm like, what the heck is wrong with you? Like, but that's just our natural disposition as kids, as, as being humans. We want what is ours, and we don't want to share, and we want to get even. And so we'll read some of these verses. It sounds like a kid right here. We have to learn to get out of that. So verse 30 is where we're at, right? Give to anyone who asks, and when things are taken away from you, don't try to get them back. That does not come natural. That is not easy. That is hard work. Verse 31 do to others as you would like them to do to you. The golden rule, which some people that aren't Christians like to say, do unto others as they do unto you. That is not biblical. I'm just making sure. Nowhere in the Bible does it say, do unto others as they do unto you. That is not, that's not the golden rule. The golden rule is, do unto others as you would want them to do to you. So important. It's a huge difference. Huge difference. So if someone is mean to me, the other way, then I get to be mean back to them. Not according to scripture, not according to Jesus. If someone's mean to me, I have to be nice to them. What? Right? So now in verse 32, we're just kind of going through. This is all hard stuff Jesus is saying. If you love only those who love you, why should you get credit for that? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good only to those who do good to you, why should you get credit? Even sinners do that much. And if you lend money only to those who can repay you, why should you get credit? Even sinners will lend other sinners for a full return. Verse 35, he's repeating it again. Love your enemies. Do good to them. Lend to them without expecting to be repaid. Then your reward from heaven will be very great, and you will truly be acting as children of the Most High, for he is kind to those who are unthankful and wicked. You must be compassionate just as your Father is compassionate. So he ended with our theme verse. But all these verses preceding it is talking about how hard it is to be compassionate or to be loving and kind, gentle, right? And so these are good words. We're talking about Valentine's Day. We just want the mushy-gushy love and kissing and all that stuff. But really what God is saying to us this morning is, if you want to love me, if you want to follow my scriptures, it's going to be hard work. On this day of love, learning about love, you better prepare yourself, buckle yourself in. There's going to be some hard things. It's going to be hard work. And um, I love, there's so many verses. I didn't have time to cram all these in here. Um, but I, I had to throw this one in here. Romans 12, 9 through 10 says this. You don't have to turn that. I'm going to read it really quick. Don't just pretend to love others. Really love them. Hate what is wrong. Hold tightly to what is good. Love each other with genuine affection. And take delight in honoring each other. 
So I love that. It says, don't just pretend to love others. I remember growing up as a boy in this church, um, Pastor Stan gave a story of coming to church. His dad was a pastor, and they went to church one day, and in the car ride, the inedible car ride to church, and the family in the car, there was yelling and arguing. Mom and dad were mad at each other and yelling at the kids, and then it was chaos in the car. And as soon as they got in the church parking lot and got out of the car, as this young boy, he watched his mom and dad flip a switch, and all of a sudden they were nice to everybody and being loving and kind. He's like, man, hypocrites. They don't even like each other, and they're being nice to everybody else. And he kind of took on that mentality that his parents were hypocrites. But as he got older, he realized, oh, no, they were putting on love. It wasn't fake and phony. It wasn't fair to treat other people with a nasty attitude just because something happened at home. They had to put on love. So there is a time where we put on love. We don't feel like it. It's not natural, but we choose to put it on. We choose to be loving. It's a choice, right? Love is a choice. Love is not just a feeling. Love is an action. Love is a verb. And so there are times, I'm just being real with you, when love is hard, it means love is going to be something that you don't feel like doing. You don't have the emotions of doing it, but you do it anyways because it's a command. I love this. Um, I've shared with you several times. I've, I've listened to Dennis Prager. He's a talk show host on AM radio. Haven't listened to him at all in the last year because um, I'm not in my work truck anymore. Um, but he says this as a Jew. He's not a born-again believer. And he references the greatest commandment, which is what? Love God, love others. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength. Uh, and the second commandment is like that. Love your neighbor as yourself, right? Jesus summarizes all the law and prophets. Scripture. He says, you want me to summarize Scripture? Love God, love others. But this Dennis Prager, he says, you know, as a Jew, I read that. He says, it's hard for me to take a command to love somebody. So God, who's in control of everything, is making me love him. It's like sometimes I don't feel like it. I have no emotion towards him, but I am commanded to have emotion towards him. And so he goes, I know it's not just emotion. It's, it's, it's action. But in that word, we are called not just to serve him as this begrudgingly servant. That's all we're supposed to do is just hard work and just, I, I have to die to myself and it's just hard work all day long just to love God. There are times that it is that, but I'm hoping and praying that it's not just hard work, that you actually enjoy loving God. And so I want to tell you that this first point, love is hard, but it's worth it. Love is hard, but it's worth it. Love is so hard, but it's worth it. All right, so time for another love story. So as Jen and I, we were friends, and now it came to the point where I finally had enough guts, and I finally asked her to be my girlfriend. And uh, I did not ask permission, so again, I might get in trouble for these stories. Um, but we are now official. We're officially dating, but we're still the same guy friends and girlfriend groups. And so we go out on our first date, group date, right? It's so all the guy friends, girlfriends. We're going out to the movies. We're going to grab some food before we go see a movie. And um, we go out, and just like all the other times, we've done this tons of times as friends before, but this time we get together in Burbank, and we're like, all right, what do you guys want to eat? We got it like an hour and a half before the movie. Where do you guys want to go? And we're all talking about me. I'm like, whatever's the cheapest. That's how I decide things. Like, I don't care if it tastes good. Like, whatever's just going to fill this stomach and is the cheapest. Like, that's my goal. And so I'm a high schooler, barely have any money. And so I'm like, man, a hot dog, a burger, or whatever is cheap. Let's just go somewhere quick. And Jen is saying, oh, I want to go to California Pizza Kitchen. I want to sit down. I want a waiter to come give me. I want pasta. I want an hors d'oeuvres. I'm like, what? I'm like, that's too expensive. You know, and so I, we're just talking, right? We're all in this group. And so finally, there's another guy in my friend group, not the guy she was dating before, a different guy. Um, 
another guy says, oh, CPK, that sounds great. And the rest was like, no, nah, it's too expensive. And he's like, let's go. So my other guy, friend, and Jen take off. And they go have dinner together, the two of them, without me. Hello, we're dating. Again, giving her grace here. Had this happened five days before, it wouldn't have been a problem. Because we're just all, like, it happened all the time. We would just break off and go do things because you're just friends and you're just friends. Hey, but we're not just friends anymore, like, hey, we're dating and you're having dinner? I, I came here with you and you're leaving with another guy. Like, this is not okay, right? And so she comes back and, of course, I'm not talking, like, cold shoulder. What's wrong? Nothing. And she's like, okay. And she just sits down next to me. And she, like, she knows something's wrong, but Okay. I'm like stewing inside, like, what the heck is wrong? Who does that? And so movie goes on, take her home. It's quiet. I get home. My mom sees me. What's wrong, Ryan? You know, the mother's intuition. What's wrong? I start crying, you know. <sighs> My heart's broken, you know. So I'm making her sound horrible, right? And, uh, and so finally, it's like 1 o'clock in the morning. By the time the movie's over, taking her home, come home, talk to my mom. And now my sister, she's engaged to get married. And she's already gone through all this. She's like, you have to communicate, Ryan. This relationship will never work unless you communicate. I'm like, we're dating for like five days already. I'm like, you have to call her. I'm like, it's 1.30 in the morning. No, you have to call her. So I'm like, ah. So I call her, wake up the whole household, wake up Jen. She's like, what? I'm like pouring my heart out, crying. You broke my heart. You know, she's like, I'm sorry. You know, and, and so anyways, I'm giving you this story to let you know love hurts. Had I not been in a relationship and vulnerable with her just that week before, it would not have bothered me that she had dinner with some other guy. But when I opened up my heart, when I actually tried to be loving, man, it felt like I got my hand slapped. I don't want to share with you, there's some of you, I said that maybe half-jokingly, that people think when you become a Christian, oh, everything will get easier. I think some of us who have been following Christ for a while, there are some people maybe listening to this message online or here, your relationship with God is hard. Your expectations, you're thinking that God is going to center all of his attention on you. And you're like, God, what is going on? I see you having fun with those other people over there. What about me? I thought we were in a relationship. I'm just letting you know, even loving God is hard. It's confusing. I love that the fact that Jacob's name was changed to Israel, and Israel means wrestle with God. When was it changed? When he was wrestling with God. Jacob actually wrestled physically, and then his hip was taken out of socket, right? But there's this idea that the people of God, the nation of Israel, they were named after people who wrestled with God. When you're in a love relationship with God, it doesn't mean everything goes your way. It doesn't mean everything is easy. There's this wrestling of figuring things out. When you, I'll say it this way, anyone who's in a loving, committing relation, committed relationship knows there's pain involved. As soon as you open up your heart and make yourself vulnerable, there's going to be pain. And I just want to encourage some of you that maybe you feel like God is distant or maybe God has turned his back on you. This is normal. I don't want to tell you, this is part of growing in Christ. This is part of the relationship of loving Christ. It's not that he's a bad God. He has not turned his back on you. He is not someone who has forgotten you. But there will be moments and times in your life that it really feels like that. Jen, she had no intention on hurting my feelings. She had no, re she loved me. Her, her love did not change at all. But in that moment, I felt unloved. It wasn't the truth. I just felt that way. 
And so I just want to explain to you in your relationship with God, man, this is going to happen. But are you going to stay committed? Are you going to stay loving? Are you going to do the hard work? I'm telling you, it's worth it. It's worth it. All right, we'll move on to my next point. So that's the first point. Love is hard. Next one, love transforms. Love transforms. I think there's it's kind of a loaded statement in saying that, but I want to give you some context. So we're going to read uh, just a couple of verses here. In uh, 2 Peter chapter 1, I'm, if you try to read along with me, I'm skipping things. I got little dot, dot, dots. I'm taking verse 3 through 7, and I'm like taking out the points I wanted. So this is not like I'm not taking scripture out. I'm not trying to teach you. I'm trying to make, it for a, make a point here. So you can read the whole thing if you want, but I'm making a, a more concise point. So this is 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 7, and I'm making some points in here. So it says this. By his divine power, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. He has given us great and precious promises. These are the promises that enable you to share his divine nature. In view of all this, make every effort to respond to God's promises. Supplement or add to your faith brotherly affection. And with brotherly affection, love for everyone. So as I just read that whole thing, I just want to make some points on that. By his divine power, God has given us everything we need. Meaning that when we are in a relationship with God, he says, you have everything you need. It sounds great. But in life, in relationship with Christ, you'll find out often reality says... Emotions say, I don't have everything I need, God. You're telling me to go over here, but you're not giving me specifics. You're not giving me all the things I need to survive when I get there, right? Just look at the history of the Bible. Abraham, go to a distant land that I'm telling you. Okay, where, God? Just go. But where are we going to land? Where, where am I going to? Just leave. I need GPS. I need directions like east, north, west. Where are we going? And where, what's it going to look like when I get there? Do I need a jacket? Do I need swimming trunks? Like, what do I need, right? But so often, God, he just says, you have everything you need. And I look at my life, and I'm like, God, your idea of what I need and my idea of what I need are not lining up. <laughs> I, I think I even said it this last Wednesday night. I was talking about uh, that Psalm 23, that the Lord is our shepherd, I shall not want or I, you can translate that, I have everything I need. The Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. I've got everything. Again, it sounds so good on the surface. Oh, I got everything. But when it comes down to the practicals, it gets difficult. God, I mean, I use myself as, God, you're calling me a pastor. Ah, do you know that I'm not a natural born leader? Do you know that I hate making decisions? Do you know that I don't like standing in front of people? Do you know, like, I can go through the list of things like, God, this doesn't line up. But that's what God says. And like I said, the power of this, of this point is he transforms. When we step out in faith, when we are in a love relationship with God, and when you're in a love relationship with other people, right, you're going to be vulnerable. It's like, ah, I'm going to do this, and I don't know what's going to happen. That's risk. That's faith. And so in your love relationship with God, God is going to transform you, but it comes in your obedience to love him. He says, if you love me, you'll obey me. Meaning you can have all this heart affection, but if you're not actually doing something, he can't transform you. He can't conform you to the image of Christ. 
So there's this truth about when we love God, it means it's going to require us to do things that we feel like we can't. But it's his love that supplies. It's his love that gives us everything we need, right? His love never fails. His love, uh, we were praying this morning, man, his love provides. His love is all-consuming, right? His love keeps no records of wrongs. You go through 1 Corinthians 13. His love is perfect. And so there's these verses, by his divine power, I'll say by his divine grace or by his divine love, he's given us everything we need to live a godly good life. You have everything you need. If God loves you, you've got it. And I love that next line. He has given us great and precious promises. He doesn't actually give us the resources. He just says, I promise that the resources will show up. As we love him, as we're in a relation with him, he doesn't give the resources first. He wants the obedience first, and then the resources follow. And it's, it's this idea. He's transforming us. He's making us into the image of Christ. And so, again, I just, I love that. But then it says that we share his divine nature. That is incredible. Again, I go back to Genesis, right? We all created in the likeness of God, so we bear his image. But there's something about when you love somebody and you're into with them, you become like them. Jen and I, we're polar opposites. Our personalities are completely different. But I I will tell you, if you ever want to know what my heart is as a pastor, there is nobody who carries my heart more than Jen. Because we become one. The two shall become one. There's something about that she knows me better than my own mom and dad. She knows me, right? That's why they leave father and mother and the two shall become one, right? That's this idea that you become like Christ when you're in a loving relationship with him. It's not just by reading scripture more or just trying harder. It's actually being in love with Christ that you become like him. You want the mind of Christ? Just start loving him. It's not by more knowledge. You want to be compassionate towards others, what we're trying to do this year? It's actually just spending time with Jesus. That's what I love about this last Wednesday. My, my sermon notes for this last Wednesday was Jesus. That was it. But then God showed up. It was so good. Because it's so simple, right? The Christian life is simple as far as it's just loving Jesus. And as we love Jesus, we become like him. As we become like him, okay, then we're doing all the things he tells us to do. But it's not easy. He transforms us, but it's just in that obedience. And so I want to read to you a couple more verses. I, I love this. 1 John 1, 7, it says this. But if we walk in the light, God himself being the light... We also experience a shared life with one another. Or there's this Greek word, some of you maybe heard, koinonia, fellowship. If we walk in the light, and God is light, Jesus is the light of the world. If we walk with Jesus and we're in relationship with Jesus, he's saying that loving one another actually becomes very easy. Where you need to love enemies, where it's so hard to love your enemy If you just walk in the light, if you are one with Christ, that's what Jesus' prayer was, right? His last prayer, you know, before he was crucified, he's praying for the church. He's like, oh, Father, I just want them to be one just as you and I are one. As you become one with Christ, he transforms you. And what used to be so hard and difficult on your own, it actually is the love of Christ that's just coming out of you. Where it's so hard for me to love my enemy, the person that hates me and is being rude to me and keeps ridiculing me and stealing from me and doing all these horrible things to me. Ah, it's so hard to love them. But if I just spend time with Christ and I'm just receiving the love of Christ for myself and I'm allowing it to grow in me and I'm becoming like him, it actually, oh, it becomes a little bit easier to love somebody that was so unloving before because he's transforming me. Love transforms 
Another 1 John. 1 John 4.12 says this. No one has ever seen God. But if we love each other, God lives in us. And his love is brought to full expression in us. I love that because what is John saying? No one has ever seen God. But if you are in love with God and he, God's love is in you, people see God. Jesus said it. He said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. I don't want to be heretical. I'm not saying I'm Jesus, but I'm praying that we can get to that point where I can say, man, when I see Bert, I see Jesus. Because they become so one. That's just what I see. That's what this verse is saying. No one has ever seen God. This world, they don't know compassion. They don't know God. But when they see you, oh, they see Jesus. That's what I'm believing for this year, this word of compassion, all these things that we are transformed. As we receive from God that we become transformed, the world around us becomes transformed. All right, so another little love story. Again, I don't know what hot water I'm getting. Maybe this is a little bit better where I made Jen, Jen sound bad in the last one. This will make up for it in this story. Um, as Jen and I obviously grew in love and got, in, got married and then began to have kids, um, I realized there was still a lot of boy and immaturity in me. Because what happened was, this happens to a lot of people, so I don't think I'm alone in this, um, but I used to be the center of attention. Like, you know, she dated my best friend, but I got treated, I got treated better than her boyfriend, right? I've always been the center of her attention. Like, I'm always, like, googly eyes on me because that's, that's Ryan, right? And so, but then we get married, and then get jobs, and she's got a job, and then also we have kids, and these four kids in diapers are getting all of her attention, right? All day long, she's feeding them, cleaning diapers, and doing this. I'm like, what about me? What happened to all of my attention, right? The immaturity in me, right? But this is happening, so I'm giving you a specific story. We go on a vacation, I'll let you know, when you got four kids in diapers, there's no such thing as a vacation. It's like family time, but it is no relaxing. As a parent, it's just extra work. Where at home, you had all the luxuries of all the things at home. Now you're not at home, and you're trying to make up for all the things you don't have, and all the high chairs and this, and running around trying to find kids. And we were at my dad's uh, place in Oregon, where there's like, you know, it's like a cabin. So things are, I'm allowed to say this, things are a little more dirty, because it's out in the middle of nowhere. Uh, it literally is off the grid, like no running water. Well, there is running water from the stream nearby, um, electricity from a hydro plant or whatever else. There's, it's off the grid as far as connected to paved streets and roads. Um, the driveway's over a mile long, and before that, it's just logging roads. So out in the middle of nowhere. And so we got four kids, not a relaxing vacation, right? We're trying to corral these kids. And uh, there's fun things to do. And I grew up going there every year of my life, been there all the time. So to me, that's like, we go there to have fun. And now I bring my family and it's nothing but work. Like, ah. Oh. And now my wife, you know, we're sharing a house with 20 other people. And it's just, oh, it's exhausting. And so finally, I was like, oh, I'm going to go on a little ride on a quad. And so I'm, I'm oh, finally just alone time. I'm going off taking, you know, dirt trails and having fun. And my son, Benjamin's old enough where I can, like, strap him in front of me and hold on to him. And I'm taking him for a ride. And that's fun. And I come back. Maybe sounds to you like nothing. And I know Jen still says, like, she feels like it wasn't a big deal. But there was something so pivotal in that moment. She came out of the house, and she said, let's go for a ride. I said, what? Now, you have no idea. This is the city girl who knows that going on a dirt quad ride is going to get her clean hair all dirty. She's going to get, you know, dust boogers. That, um, the big thing here is she's going to trust 
her in-laws to watch her four kids out in the middle of nowhere. She's going to trust somebody else to watch her kids. She's going to trust Ryan to take her on an off-road ride up a mountain. Okay, this is a lot of trust, right? She's giving up a lot. It's costing her a lot. But she jumped on that quad with me, and we were gone for 10, 15 minutes. I don't know what it was. But I'll tell you something. It meant so much to me. It transformed. Again, it cost her something. It was hard maybe for her. But it did something in me realizing, oh, it restored that she loves me even more than those kids. She loves me more than her, her own pretty makeup and nice hair and all those other things that I value, that she valued me more. And it restored, well, she never stopped doing those things. But in my mind, there were things that were competing. And it just, it didn't matter. That, that one small act changed everything. And we weren't in this horrible marriage. It wasn't like we were going to divorce or anything. I'm just saying it was rough and difficult. But one small act of love changed everything. And I want to share that with you because I just feel like it's the same thing. There's some of you that feel like, oh, it's so hard. I couldn't imagine loving my enemy and just my whole heart of affection is towards my enemies now. Well, maybe it just takes one small act. Maybe it's just one small thing you do to love somebody else, to think of them as better than yourself, and watch the Lord come in. See, I love that. I, scripture says that greater love has no one than this, than he who lays down his life for his friend. And we love to think of that as some heroic big thing, like taking a bullet for somebody, right? I'm, I'm going to give my life. I'm going to die so that someone else can live. But I think a better interpretation is I'm, I'm laying down my rights. I'm laying down what I prefer, and I'm letting somebody else get what they want. And in doing that, there is no greater love. There's something where God comes in. Something supernatural takes place when we just obey and do some small act of love. Jesus is like, oh, I can use that. I can heal, I can restore, I can cause life, I can renew, I can, all these things, that it's just our one small act, and we think sometimes it's so difficult, it's so big and grandiose, no, it's just one small act of love, and watch God come in and transform things. Finally, our third point. Love makes a way. Where there seems to be no way, God makes a way. Love makes a way. I love that God is love, right? First John 4. God is love. God will make a way where there seems to be no way. It was a song I remember singing probably as a teenager here. But it's so true. When we don't see how it's possible, when we look at our future, like, I don't know how that's going to work out. I mean, just being real, like politics. How is our nation going to turn around? How is there going to be a great revival before Jesus returns? There's things in my natural brain that it's like, ah, I don't, I don't see it. But his love makes a way where there seems to be no way. People that you're in a relationship where it's hard, and you're like, I don't see them changing at all. Well, love makes a way where there seems to be no way. I love, I, I think I've shared with you that Romans chapter 8 is probably one of, if not my favorite, chapters in the Bible. And there's some verses in Romans 8 that talk about love. But before we get to those ones, there's a verse that I think a lot of us are familiar with. Romans 8, 28 says, And we know that all things work together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purposes. I think often we quote that first part. And we know that all things work together for good. Well, for who? For everybody? No. 
For the, for the whole world, every, no matter who, every human being, everything's going to work out for their good? No. There's actually a qualifying in there. For those who love God and are called according to his purposes. I'll tell you that the things in my life that haven't worked out for good is when I've been pursuing my own aim. Well, this will make me happy. But when I say, God, what will make you happy? I love you and I want you to have your will, not my way. Your will be done. And when I'm in love with God and it costs and it's painful and it hurts, actually it turns out for a greater good than I could have ever thought. Again, Jesus, the ultimate example of that, right? When he's praying that prayer, not my will, your will be done. It cost a lot of pain, a lot of hurt, but it resulted in the greatest joy Jesus has ever experienced. Everything does work out together for your own good. I, I, sometimes I remember in the church, I think, well, it's, it's for God's glory. Everything works out for God's glory, for his good. No, it's actually for your good too. I know we just want God to be glorified, and I get that. That's, that's a true statement. But God loves you. And God as a father, he is working together all things for your good. When you actually love him, when you actually submit to him, when you actually follow according to his plans and purposes, not your way. So important. But I love that that verse, Romans 8, 28, is sandwiched between these two other verses. Just the, the verse before, I don't have it up on the slide, but it says this. It says that sometimes we don't know what to pray for, but the Holy Spirit makes groans and intercessions for us. There are times that I have prayed for things that I thought I wanted, and God knew better. I gave the example. I was praying that my feelings for Jen would go away. God, take away these butterflies. Take away my emotions for Jen, you know, and I love that. And then as I was fasting and praying, as I began to pray in tongues, the Holy Spirit began to reinterpret my prayer. The Holy Spirit is interceding to the Father. He's saying, all right, Father, I know you heard Ryan say, take away his feelings for Jen. Now he's praying in the Spirit. Let me reinterpret his prayer. He's actually saying that he wants you to have his way in his heart, that he's submitting to you, and he thinks that this is not good, but actually it is my plan. And so would you take his prayers and make it do this thing instead? There's things that you and I, we pray, and we're not praying with full understanding. Uh, give you an example, right? Some of us might pray for the fastest Corvette there is, right? That's what we think we want. And then as we pray, the Holy Spirit's like, man, that would kill him. Don't give him that Corvette, God. Don't give him that Corvette. You know, do this instead. But I love that we have the Holy Spirit praying for us. And then, that's, that's the verse before Romans 8, 28. A few verses later, it then says that Jesus is at the right hand of the Father interceding for us. So you have the Holy Spirit and Jesus both praying on our behalf. And sandwiched in between is this verse that says, and we know that all things work together for our good, for those who love and are called. How is that? It's because you got people praying for you. you got Jesus and the Holy Spirit who are in love with you praying on your behalf. Even the prayers that you are praying wrong, they're saying, no, this is what he means, Father. That's why it all works together. I, I love that. I love that that context is so important. Oh, I got to go in. Romans 8. I got to just turn my Bible there because it's good. Good stuff. Acts, Romans. Here we go. I actually have a marker right here. A little love note from Jen when I was in high school before we were dating. 
and I'll call it a love note before we're dating. Um, but I love that. So Romans 8, we were reading that, right? 28, we were reading verses before and behind. But this theme of love, it says this. Oops, turn the page. In verse 35, right after it says that Jesus is praying for us, it says, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? And there's a couple of verses before that says, if God is for you, who can be against you? Meaning, this doesn't mean that nobody will ever be against you. If you're in love with Christ in relation to him, it doesn't mean that nobody will be against you. He's pointing out the fact is, if God is for you, people who are against you, their vote doesn't count. When enemies come against you, they revile you, they persecute you, they hate you, they do horrible things, they steal from you, how are you able to love those people? It's because if God is for me, who can be against me? This understanding that God so deeply loves me that it doesn't matter what this world does to me. They can steal my shirt and I can give them the jacket. They can tell me you have to walk one mile and say, okay, I'll gladly go an extra mile with you, right? You can't take away my joy and my love because I'm so rooted in God's love for me. One of Jen's favorite verses is in our, uh, in our bathroom, a little plaque, right? That our roots will go down deep into the soil of his marvelous love. If you are rooted deeply rooted in God's love for you, that's where it becomes not so difficult. It's second nature or Jesus nature to love people. But these truths are so important. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, distress, persecution? No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loves us. See, I quote all the time, we are more than conquerors through Christ. That's where we, we sing that song. We are more than conquerors through Christ, right? We, but the rest of the verse is, right, who loves us? Through him who loves us. We are more than conquerors through him who loves us. It's in the context of love. When you know how much you're loved, ah, oh, you can conquer anything. There's nothing that's too difficult. There is no tribulation, no persecution, no horrible evil thing that can happen in your life that you don't think, oh, I can overcome that. Wouldn't you love to have that mentality? No matter what odds are against you, the whole world is against you, and your mind says, yeah, but God is for me, and he loves me, so I'm going to overcome this. I mean, you see that in David, right? That's why he sees the Goliath. Everyone else is, has a spirit of fear, but perfect love casts out fear. David was so deeply rooted in his love for, for God singing, writing hymns and all these psalms, just so in love with God that he sees this Goliath. He's like, piece of cake. He was not, no fear whatsoever. Because God doesn't give us a spirit of fear, but of love, power, and a sound mind. It's so connected in, in these verses right here in Romans 8. More than conquerors. And then the very end of Romans 8. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from what? The love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. There's nothing that can separate us from the love of God. I want to end on this love story. 
the most famous verse in the Bible that's quoted that's during the Super Bowl. You see people put it on their eyes underneath. You see signs in the stands. What's, what's the famous verse? John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. As I'm making this point, love makes a way. I, I almost titled it, Love is Personal. Because to say, God so loves the world, that's so important. It's one of the most important verses in the Bible. But it becomes real and important when it's personal. God so loves you. And as we're wrapping up the story, I'll probably get in a whole lot more hot water because I told you my wife doesn't like being up front and doesn't like public displays of affection. But I'm going to ask her if she'll come up here and stand next to me. Um, <laughs> because there's something different even about telling you a love story, right? I was telling you about what happened in my life 25 years ago and what happened in my life years ago. But there's something about when it becomes personal. You can read the Bible about how Jesus loved the multitudes. He had compassion on the multitudes. That Jesus loves the world. He died 2,000 years ago. These are all great things. But when you hear that Jesus loves you, when it becomes personal with your ears, within your spirit, you know that God loves you, that's when it changes everything. So I do this slightly to gain some brownie points on Valentine's Day. But way more to display the personal love of God. I can say that I love you. And that is a true statement. I love every single one of you. But it is very different when I say it to my wife. There's intimacy here that I don't have with anybody else. So this is a personal love. I'm doing this on, pers- on, on purpose because God pursues you. He wants a personal love relationship with you. Not through your pastor, not through someone else in your family. He wants you. So I get an example here. I really do feel like since high school, I'm the luckiest guy in the world. That you are my best friend. That I would rather be with you than any other human being. That you make me feel confident. That you make me feel like a good man. That you've caused me to become a better man. Um, that in all my immaturities, your grace has covered those, but also you've shown me how to be responsible, how to be mature. You've taught me. I believe that I've shaped you in some ways too, that I brought you to this church. There's things I get, it goes both ways. But I love you. And I know you know that. And I'm not trying to just be mushy, but I, there's something about it that seeing it, looking in your eyes, it's real. I'm not just talking about a story years ago. I really love you. And I love you more today than I ever have in my entire life. And now I'm going to ask you to take off your mask. And maybe you'd be like a little wedding. She's taking the veil off. You guys all get to watch me kiss my bride. I love you. <laughs> but as we close, maybe that's a little silly. I want you to go ahead and close your eyes. What is the Holy Spirit saying to you? That was not phony what I just did with my wife. It was real. My love relationship with Jen is so real, more real than anything else. And God's love for you is way more real than what you just saw me do up on stage. He wants you to know his love. 
He wants you to start fathoming how deep it really is. That for all of eternity, you are going to be experiencing greater depths of his love. It cannot be fathomed. You can never reach. You can never exhaust his love. And he wants you. And so on this Valentine's Day, this day of love, would you hear the word of the Lord to you? My child, I love you. More than you realize. Some of you, you've been in relationship with me for years. And I'm telling you, there's more love for you to experience. I dance over you. I rejoice over you. I brag about you in all of heaven. I get excited when someone begins to talk about you. I say, that's mine. That's my beloved daughter. She belongs to me. That's my son in who I'm well pleased. I bought him with a price. There's nothing he can do to separate my love from him. The accuser, the brethren, comes and tries to remind you the things you've done wrong. And I just say, yeah, but I bought him. He belongs to me. I am my beloved's and my beloved's is mine. So just in a posture of receiving, would you just put your hands in front of you and receive the words of the Lord to you? My child, I love you with an everlasting love. Before I even created the stars, the planets, the entire universe, behold, you are on my lips. The Father, the Spirit, and I, we dreamed about you. We were excited and laughed and danced before you were created in your mother's womb. But then there came the day where you were brought into conception and I knit you. It was me. I knit you carefully, uniquely, differently. The different fingerprint. You pre present me to the world different than anybody else. You are mine. And I love you. I'm proud of you. Receive my love. Receive it. Let it be pressed down, shaken together, all together running over. Jesus, we thank you for this day of love. I know your word says that today is the day of salvation. I'm declaring today is the day of love. That love conquers my sin. Love conquers my failures. I've been washed in the blood, and I'll say the love of Jesus Christ. Nothing can separate me from your love, Jesus. I'm convinced of it. From this day forward, I will never be ashamed of myself. I will never be condemned. I will never wallow in shame and guilt. I will walk around with my head held high knowing that you love me that I can come to you and get forgiveness anytime I need it. 